It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, I have two great guests lined up today, and we're really excited to, to be having a conversation with them. You know, in case this is the first time you're tuning in the show, or maybe it's been a while and you forgot really how it all kind of works, I tend to go through this little spiel here in the beginning just in case any of our new listeners don't know what's going on but usually what happens is i get to meet some of these really cool leaders inspiring people uh, experts authors whatever they may be and instead of having this sort of conversation with them and picking their brain by myself i decided to invite them onto a show throw this out into the interwebs and let everyone else digest it understand it question it argue it whatever it may be but, you know, we're essentially going to have this conversation. We're going to ask some questions and hopefully learn something. Uh, that's really what keeps me going is learning something new uh, each week uh, that I do the show. Uh, one of the guests turns me on to something, a book, an idea, a thought, uh, a new way of phrasing something. And so I can take that back into my work um, and, and hopefully be a better maybe friend, parent, uh, husband, whatever it may be. So... Uh, hopefully, we can take some of these ideas and, and turn them into something positive for you as well. Talent Talk here is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can get us through that uh, tune-in network. Um, you can, can listen to us live. But most of you actually kind of come in later on. Um, you listen on iTunes. You listen on iHeart, wherever it may be. And uh, we've amassed a great following over there. About 360,000 of you came in last week. and listen to at least one show we really appreciate your your support so big thank you to everyone who's keeping up us on a regular basis one of our other kind of fun things we like to do is get you involved so if you'd love to send us a question uh you can do that via twitter you just need to go in there pop in your question you got to get in the hashtag talent talk talent talk in there all one word hashtag talent talk in order for us to find the question and my producer mike is diligently watching that and if you really have room you can add the at people g2 that will kind of really make sure we, we get it so but we've had people ask us great questions send in guest suggestions we all love it just whether it's live or you're doing it after the fact send in your question tag the person from uh, the show today i'm sure they'll be happy to get back to you uh my guests today include um eileen uh mcdar uh, chief uh energy officer and I'm going to guess that because she's on this show, the word energy might relate to people, but we'll find out. Um, and she's with the Resili- Resiliency Group. And then we'll have Lynn Schmidt, uh, the Director of, Global Execu- uh, Director of Global Executive and Leadership Development at uh, Micron Technology. So Lynn will get with me here in the second half of the show after we have our little commercial break. Um, but let's go ahead and uh, start with Eileen. Uh, Eileen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. Good to be here. 
All right. Well, the easy part, I want you to tell everyone a little bit about yourself uh, and what you do over at your company, the Resiliency Group. Okay. Well, I've had my organization, my consulting practice since 1980. And the Resiliency Group is really an organization that is devoted to helping individuals and organizations figure out how to deal in a world of change. And the way you deal in a world of change is you have resilient relationships, you have resilient living, and you have resilient leadership. And I define resiliency as as that component that allows us to have the energy to keep on keeping on. And as you know, Chris, with your extensive background, the definition of energy is the ability to do work. You have no energy, you got no work. So that's really kind of what we're all about. Well, it sounds fascinating. It's a simple concept, but I'm sure that it's very complex as you're kind of trying to put it in play. And you kind of immediately hit on something for me that if you don't don't have that resiliency, if you don't have that energy to work, and you're not going to get anything done. And for a lot of people, that is a great place to start if they're not getting where they want to be in their lives, whether that's work or personal, whatever it may be. So how, how far do we take that word resiliency? I mean, how, kind of how broad are you, you painting well, that, that stroke there? So actually, I paint it fairly broad. Um, and initially, when I started my consulting practice in 1980, we call, called it like dark communications. And I realized over time that actually what we are communicating is how do leaders set up a positive energy field between themselves and their followers? How do you create an energy field with you and your customers? How do you create an energy field within your family? And so that's how it all really came about. And what's fascinating to me now, more and more organizations are calling me because of that word resiliency. The world has become so complex, this 24-7 nuts of world that we live in. Our people are saying, how do I help myself? How do I help the folks around me? So we, we really do have a, you know, a fairly broad um, brush, if you will, but there are some real specific skills that can be taught. And when you bring leadership teams away and you have them talk at the end of the day, it's really, are we creating positive energy among this team or is it negative energy? What gets in our way? What do we want to be when we grow up? You know, do our strategies making sense? And so it, it really has, a, it really has a very solid, a, a very solid base. As you're kind of looking at that from the resiliency standpoint, you said people are bringing you in for that. I know that they're also kind of bringing you in for this uh, other sort of words that you like to you've brought up uh, before with conversation, perspective, and readiness. So maybe you could talk about these three factors and, of course, how they really work into this idea of resiliency and really what is the importance that they bring to not only maybe your what you're trying to do, but really what you're trying to make or help the organizations do. Thank you, Chris. That's a great question. First off, it's CPR. That's what it is. And what is what, when you give CPR, it means you're actually breathing life back into something. So the way you breathe, breathe life into an organization, into the individuals who are there, first it has to start with conversation. When I do my keynotes, uh, when I go out and do training sessions, I don't give speeches, Chris. I talk to people. It's that we have a conversation. And I think that's one of the things that we are missing in our organizations. We, we can hide behind the, you know, the, the wall of email. Uh, we think, you know, 144 characters is it. Well, it's not it. It really is we, we need to develop the art of conversation. Perspective 
is critical for resiliency because what perspective is, is how can I walk around and find different ways of responding to an event or a situation? And that's what adaptability is all about. So one of, one of my roles is to help people look at things differently to give them a new perspective. That's the P of CPR. And R is a readiness to do something with it. It's one thing that you mentioned to your, that your guests hear an idea. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to do something with it. So my notion of readiness is that you are ready to say, sign me up. I'm moving forward. That's the action I'm going to take. And so that would be my, that would be one of my, my hopes. Now, can I force someone to do that? Nope. <laughs> so you can't take the horse, you know, can make, make the horse drink at the, at the well. But that is our intention that we give people enough action ideas that they can do something with it. Right, right. So when executive teams enter some of experiencing some of these challenges, if we maybe go a little bit deeper and specific here, you know, it could only, it, it's certainly very detrimental to the, to the organization. I mean, it's one thing to have your, you know, your frontline people struggling with this, but if it's at the top, it, in my mind, it's even worse. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, one may have been caused by the other, but maybe can you talk about some of the work that you've done specifically with executive teams on how to work uh, you know, and really come together with those ideas of resiliency and, and bringing in those other, you know, your CPR as well. Sure. What I do when I take executive teams away, first off, there will be one executive who who owns the meeting. And there's a reason for why they've called me. So the first thing we do is drill down with that one executive who owns the meeting to say, what's going on, what's the deliverable, what are you looking for? Then what I do is whoever is involved, and generally the teams could be anywhere from you know, 12 people up to about 28 is about the most I could do, in a, like a two-day offsite. And what I do is I ask all of, those, all of those people involved the same set of questions. And specifically, it will be, based upon what I was brought in for, you know, what are the major issues that you think you're facing right now? What are the things that you think are getting in the way? What do you need people to know about your job that you don't think they know? Um, if you were the, the, the head person, what would you do differently? What kind of advice would you give to that person? So it would be questions like that. But also in, interspersed in that, I believe that we don't know each other as human beings well enough when we come together. So I don't think you start hammering out issues until we first have an appreciation of value for the, the, the variance and the diversity that sits around a table. So included in those questions, uh, I, every time I do this, it's, it's different. Um, one group that I, that I was asked to, to take away, um, the, the head, the worldwide VP said, I have a great team. We're just assembled. They, they each are great in what they do. They don't know how to play together. I said, oh, it's like an orchestra. He said, well, yeah, that's it. I said, so we want them to play together, but they each have their own music, their own instrument, but they have to learn to play this. Or he said, that's right. So one of the themes, Chris, that ran through this, when I interviewed all these people, I said, tell me your favorite song. I said, I want a picture of you as either a teen or a toddler. And if you had another life to lead, what would it be? 
Now, as crazy as those questions sound, uh, and by the way, when I when I do the interviews, I reduce those issues into issue papers that are third party. In other words, nobody's name is attached to it. Because what I do is I take the first cut. Because if somebody in that team says, well, the thing that's really wrong about here is they serve too many noodles in the cafeteria, we're not going to waste anybody's time talking about noodles in the cafeteria. So I look at what are the major themes, and I give them back to them. But interspersed in that, I will have something that's fun that gets, allows people to know something about the person who is here. I generally use uh, an, a self-assessment instrument that they take that talks about their communication style and then on the music this was this was a great example so i've downloaded 28 songs from from uh from itunes and so you know early on i'll say so um whose favorite song do you think this is and the song was in agata Davida, which was a head song from the 60s and they're looking around this group thinking well, who in the world liked that song it turned out it was the only attorney in the group everyone cracked up because they didn't see this attorney as being someone who would like Inagata de Vida. And later on, when I would put up a picture, I'd say, here's here's what this person said. If they had another life to lead, they would like to be. And so it would be... um, uh, want to run a be the coach of a soccer team in Barcelona uh, and also have a vineyard and they're looking around who would ever want to do this then I put up the picture that that person sent me of themselves as either a teen or a toddler and I said so this is who it is the reason they ask for them as a teen or a toddler and they're trying to guess it all of us have been teens all of us have been toddlers those are two really awkward parts of our life and they see another part of that human being in that and by the time we're finished not only have they been able to talk in ways that that move issues forward and come up with some actual action steps for themselves but they also have a new picture uh of the people who sit around that table well and it's a it sounds like a really great exercise, and, and to really get the team, you know, talking and working together is, you know, I, sounds like the first part of a big process. Um, and you gave the orchestra example there, and really working with each of those independent members to bring their own music um, and, and to collaborate together with their strengths. But I guess the secondary component is that is, is you also need the conductor. Um, so, mm-hmm. from, from that perspective, the, the leader of the group, how does that how does that leader then fit into that uh, equation and bring that sense of resiliency, the things that you're focusing on, to make sure that they're leading that group uh, of really talented people in the right way? You know, it um, there's only so much I can do with the leader, and one of my first requirements when I'm brought in to do this is that that leader has to has to be willing to take feedback from me on ways in which they might not be as effective as they can. If there's no agreement with that, I can't work with them. Um, I've never had anyone say no. Um, and in this one case, this was a he was a tremendous, a tremendous leader. And so he would sit back and observe what were the strengths of his team, figuring out, and we talked about how, where is it you want to go? Because hidden in that if I had another life to lead, I want to be a soccer coach in Barcelona and have a vineyard. There, there's a piece of that that says I, I need activity, I want to be able to see results, and I want results of quality. You don't have a vineyard and grow prunes. You know, you grow Cabernet or, or Syrah or whatever kind of grapes you want. So um, the leader begins to, to sense the differences because they all have differences. You also understand, and I think the leader, when he watches how the team interacts, there might be some people that are part of that team that aren't going to make it in the orchestra. 
because they want their instrument to be louder than anyone else's. And if you know music, you know at times the violins take over and at other times it's the trumpets. So it's it's that willingness to know that to know that score. That's just as one example. Every time I do these things, Chris, I try to be as creative as possible and make it um, almost like it's one of a kind for that organization for that group. Well, and I'm sure that's why they appreciate having you you come in there. And I know that's why I'm I'm really enjoying kind of hearing these stories and, and what you're doing in our kind of full episode today focused on resiliency. You know, I know one of the other series that I think I found when doing a little bit of research on a little homework um, was one that was titled uh, Sailing from Burnout to Balance. Um, certainly that would resonate for well, the first few thousand people I can think of in my head. Um, we've all been there uh, in a sense of burnout or at least striving for balance or wanting balance. So maybe based on some of your research and knowledge and experience, you know, how do individuals really move from that place of burnout um, to balance? Is it, you know, you just got to leave where you're at and start anew? Or, you know, what are some of the strategies that you're looking at? Well, for one thing, the first thing I say, I use balance. And um, people love that word, and it's a terrible word. And, and so the first thing I'll say when I'm with the group is let's get real clear. Balance is baloney. There is no such thing. And the reason we like the word balance is, and I say, think of the picture. What's, what's the picture in your head, Chris? If I had to say, tell me what balance looks like in your head, what's it look like? Probably like four squares filling up a page, all perfectly even. But I mean, all perfectly uh, even. Okay. Right. Or like the scales of justice. You know, everything is equally yeah, weighted. That would work too. Well, life, sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, life doesn't work that way at right. all, ever. So the first thing is to convince people that you're ne- you, you don't want that. What you want to do, and it's the metaphor that I've used since 1985, is to think rather of a sailboat. And you and I both live in Southern California. You know when you see sailboats, you can see a sailboat out in the ocean, and it's got a big head of wind, and it's, and it's listing over to its side, moving fast. Theoretically, the sailboat looks like it's out of balance. What allows it to move forward is it the the sailor is connected to the most important parts of the boat. So, quote, balance is more about how do I sail? How do I stay connected to that which is the important parts of my life? And then when the wind shifts, I've got to shift. I've got to come about. So it, it's a whole process of saying, what is this phase of your life? What are the things that are important to you now? What will renew and engage and give you back energy? Because you could be spending all of your time, let's pretend you don't have your hand on the, on the, on the, uh, on the tiller. Uh, you're only holding on to the sheet. You don't know where the heck you're going. That boat's going to be in a lot of trouble. So you say, what is it, that's, what is it that is important to me in my life? And then how do I make choices? Because it's all about choice. How do I make choices that will allow me to move in the direction that I want to go? So it's not about leaving where you are. It's really about learning the craft of sailing where you are and then determining what direction do I want my life to go. And that's what will give me and renew energy. And by the way, when I said balance is baloney, we all, myself included, there are days in which I, I have no energy and I have to say, what, what will give this back to me? And that's why one of the things we're seeing now, and I'm sure you've read about it a lot, um, out, of, out of Harvard, and they're actually been teaching it, is mindfulness. The ability to stop and to be quiet and just to think 
rather than staying in perpetual motion. So the different things that people can do, even where they sit, to try to, okay, where am I in the boat right now? What's the most important thing for me to do? Yeah, and that that can be difficult, uh, and probably for most people. And I love the analogy that you know, using that sailboat, right? That sort of it being out of balance is what's allowing it to actually, in some ways, actually allowing it to move and go forward. So it's not about being perfect. It's not about being um, everything. You know, sort of going along exactly how it's supposed to be. That that it's finding those that the right ways to really capitalize on those things that you can uh, to your to your best mm-hmm. abilities. I imagine with your a level of creativity and that you've been doing this uh, for as long as you have, you mentioned uh, starting back in the 80s, that I'm going to assume here that you probably read a few books that maybe you keep up with uh, <laughs> different things that are happening. And I'm wondering if there's a book that you're reading right now that you might share with us. You know, Chris, that's a, that's another good question. I, I read all the time. It's it's one of the best things when you travel is that it's about the only time I get to read because you're a prisoner in that plane. And to me, fate worse than death is to be stuck on a plane without a book. Um, so I And I read widely. I just finished reading The Confidence Code by Caddy Kay and Claire Shipman, S-H-I-P-M-A-N. It's the science and the art of self-assurance. What... What women need to know about confidence. There's not a competency issue in the United States when it comes to leadership. It's a confidence issue. And um, if you think about, again, what are the conversations I have with myself that either give me confidence or deplete it? And we're really good at negative self-talk. All human beings are, but women can be particularly good at negative self-talk that can hold them back from taken that boat in the direction they wanted to go. So I, it was it was fascinating, and it's well-researched, and I, I enjoyed that a lot. The other one I just finished was um, the biography of Catherine the Great of Russia, and I have no clue why I read it. It was 500 and some odd pages, but it was fascinating to see during her era how the the monarchies literally divided up Europe, and you begin to get a sense of why it's so confusing today. I think that... that my, I'm, I'm a terrible student when it comes to not understand the history of where we got where we are, and I think it's important to know how this, how did, this didn't just happen. It's, it's been happening. So those are the two books I just finished reading. Well, those sound like fascinating books uh, for our our listeners to check out, and don't forget we will be reposting uh, you know summary of this uh, show along with links to uh, our guests and also any of the books that they suggested. So if you didn't have a pen and paper, you can always go to peopleg2.com and click on the blog section and find this uh, episode. Of course, it, if you're listening live, it takes us a few weeks to get that done, but if this is later on down the road, it should be there for you. So, well, I want to make sure um, you know we have uh, time to to. Make sure people know on how to get a hold of you and, and what's the best way if they're interested in learning more about you, about the Resiliency Group. Uh, how can they do that? Thank you very much. May I put a plug in for one other book that I dearly love? It's my newest one, Your Resiliency sure. GPS. And GPS stands for Your Growth Potential Strategy. So I would love for them to look for that one, too. You can find me at www.theresiliencygroup.com or my name, Eileen, it's the Irish spelling, E-I-L-E-E-N, and a good Scott-Irish name, M-C-D-A-R, 
G like go, H like happy dot com, Eileen MacDar dot com. Um, you can also, I'm MacDarling, M A C D A R L I N G, on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook. And if they care to email me with any questions, it's Eileen at EileenMacDar dot com. As, as I said, there's a, you gave us a lot there. So if you didn't have a pen and paper, don't worry. We'll have it on the blog uh, section, or you can always hit us up on Twitter. We'll be happy to pass it along. Um, Eileen, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show and starting us off here on our show, you know, totally dedicated to this idea of resiliency. You've really uh, shined a light on, on some really good things, and uh, you've been a great guest. And hopefully we can have you come back and give us some, some more of your great stories on some of your creative uh, things that you're doing with your clients. I love that, Chris. Thank you so much for inviting me. I've enjoyed it. All right. We'll be right back with our uh, second guest after our brief commercial break. Uh, Lynn Schmidt will be up uh, just after this. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back here to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Uh, my second guest uh, is going to be Lynn Schmidt, the Director of uh, uh, Global Executive and Leadership Development at uh, Micron Technology. As a reminder, don't forget, you can send us questions uh, by popping in that question at the hashtag Talent Talk, all one word, and we'll try to grab them. If you have room to add at People G2, even better. Um, but let's go ahead and get to Lynn. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. So tell everyone, uh, you know, really kind of glad to have you back on the show. And uh, the last time we talked, we were getting ready to really kind of get into this idea of resiliency building uh, in a sabbatical, I think, that you were doing. And the show seems to be completely dedicated to this idea of resiliency. So maybe you can talk a little bit about this and, and how, that's, how that's going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when we met, I was just getting ready to leave the country I, uh, over the years, I had worked in several companies with significant turmoil, and I didn't realize how it had impacted me. And I'd been laid off, and I was interviewing for jobs, good jobs, and I'd get off the phone and feel nauseous, and I realized that something was wrong. So I worked with a coach, and I made the decision to give myself a year sabbatical and spend the year in Europe. So I got rid of most of my stuff, uh, sold my car, my brother talk, took my dogs, 
uh, and I headed off to Europe with one suitcase and left everything I'd known behind. Interestingly enough, um, people often comment that I was lucky that I got a year vacation, but it was much more than that. It was really scary leaving everything behind. And it wasn't luck that enabled me to take that sabbatical. I'd worked really hard to be able to take that time. But it ended up being a fabulous experience. I met wonderful people, learned about different cultures, truly stretched myself, and was able to ensure the book has a global focus. So maybe tell everyone a little bit about what you're doing now with uh, you know your company now and, and kind of how that's working and what your your focus is. Yeah, I had given myself a year. I didn't know if that'd be enough time or not. But actually, towards the end of my year uh, sabbatical, I was ready to come back. So I started talking to folks back in the States about jobs. And I took this job with Micron Technology. I'm the director of global executive and leadership development. And so I'm focused on the development of our leaders at all levels and future leaders around the country um, and around the world. Uh, as well as succession management. So both the identification and development of those individuals. Well, that's great. So, and is that you know, primarily what the, co- the company in is, is completely focused on, or is there more, you know, kind of avenues to it? Well, the company has a large talent management organization that focuses on all aspects of talent management. So my focus is really the global executive and leadership development, identification and development piece of it. But we uh, focus on all areas of talent management um, within Micron, and then Micron itself develops uh, the chips for our iPhones and cars and and various other technology. Yeah, and it's always good for our listeners to kind of have that good perspective of, you know, what's the world that you're living in and how how does that play or be similar to the world that they're living in. Maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, this idea, you know, as we're talking about resiliencies, maybe how do you build your own resiliency and and specifically other things that, you know, you're doing or working on or or practice that other people might put into place right away in their own lives? Yeah, well, building resiliency is all about getting uncomfortable. Um, My belief is if you aren't feeling some fear, you aren't growing and becoming more resilient. Uh, just like I took off and left for a year, it doesn't mean that um, that's what I'm saying everyone needs to do. It's going to be different from every for everybody, um, but it was scary to leave everything behind. Um, it was really interesting how hard it is to change our habits because even after I've bought my plane ticket and have everything arranged, I was still interviewing for jobs, and I write about this stuff. I teach this stuff. I mean, I recognized what I was doing, and, and it was hard for me to stop. Uh, so it's really important for folks as they're building a resiliency. And what I did uh, was to really take that step. It was like taking a step off a ledge and not knowing what was going to be at the bottom to catch me. Uh, the American culture concerned me because we're not advocates of often uh, breaks like this in, in careers. And so, you know, I even had fears about, well, when I come back, am I going to be able to get another job? Will people in America even appreciate the fact of what I learned and how I developed during that year? So I think, you know, very simple things can build resiliency, and it can be bigger steps like I took. But it's just doing something different, getting out of your comfort zone, um, and growing. Right, absolutely. And being uncomfortable, that's sort of an interesting way to put it because you're, you're being resilient sort of gives this idea of being strong, of being able to somehow maybe have some clarity, but you're kind of putting this into kind of being uncomfortable as well, which is, I think, kind of a fascinating way to look at it. And, you know, you have a new book that you started to, to mention, uh, Shift Into Thrive, um, Six Strategies for Women to Unlock the Power of Resiliency. 
Um, and I think it's available for pre-order coming out here in September 12th. So what was really your driving force behind the book? And maybe you can kind of give us a little preview as, as to what it's all about. Yeah. Well, I've worked in talent management and corporations my entire career, uh, much of the time in leadership development, succession management. And I continually saw women rise up through the organization and then not stay long in the top positions. And I encountered my own challenges as a woman as I moved up the career ladder. And my dissertation, which I completed in 2009, so I got my Ph.D. mid-career, was on women in career derailment, and I interviewed 23 women who were either fired, forced out, or asked to resign from an organization. And my job was to get their perspective as to why, to really give them voice. And what I discovered is it's a systemic issue. It's not only a leadership competency issue. It involves social beliefs about gender, organizational practices, you know, policies designed for men, as that who that's who was in the workforce at the time companies were created, um, and other perceptions about strong women. And so my co-author and I, Kevin Norse, um, his dissertation was on resiliency, so we got together and we combined our interests and we wrote this book on women, work, and resiliency. The purpose really being is to provide women with strategies that will enable them to thrive, not just survive. So you have this difficult experience. You can always come out of it either declining or maintaining, surviving, but our intent is to help women grow and thrive um, from the challenges. Well, and that's and that's great advice. And, and so, is there is there anything in there that is maybe um, uh, universal that's not specific to women that are maybe uh, that anyone could take away from you know and, and and work on in their own lives? Absolutely. the The book um, really has four target audiences. The primary one is women, um, all ages, um, all nationalities, any profession. Uh, and to help them with the challenges and to thrive. But also we have uh, coaches, what we're calling people developers, so that's coaches and human resources professionals, uh, can use the book as they work with women uh, to help them with their challenges. And some of our beta readers were actually coaches who went out and and applied some of the actions that we have in the book immediately with their clients. Uh, Organizational leaders are also a target audience, the people that have the ability to look at the policies and practices, to to make changes in how they're addressing women and resiliency, as well as equality across the entire organization. And then men, we've had men as beta readers, and some men read it early on to give some endorsements, and they read it and said, you know, this was was eye-opening for me to kind of see women's experiences. I can be more supportive. Um, I can help make change, and also many of the strategies can apply to men uh, coming at it from a different angle, uh, but they've found some of them applicable as well. Yeah, that's great. It's it's good to hear when you, I mean, you want a book sometimes to be very uh, beneficial to a particular niche, so that you're being specific enough, right, and not so broad that it's, you know, not uh doesn't really help someone so you want that specific uh, stuff but at the same time it's nice if you can anybody can pick up your book and and pick up things that would be good so whether it's going to help them directly or going to help them as you just said be more understanding and have a better perspective for those um for for women in in the workplace so it sounds like a great read that uh certainly suggests our our listeners might want to check out you know kind of given your career as an hr exec and a business leader what do you what do you really want women to understand about the importance of this idea of resiliency, and and do you think that it's more important now than it ever has been? 
Yeah, it is. And, and the key is is that women are facing significant challenges in the workforce that men don't. And not that they always haven't, but things just aren't changing uh, very quickly, if at all, in regards to that. So what happens is women come into the workforce and oftentimes their approach is, well, if I do a good job, that will be enough. Um, they tend to have a, a loyalty to organizations and people that um, sometimes can be misplaced. And so it's just really important at this point in time as women have all these things hitting them and sometimes they're thinking things have changed and they really haven't and they're going to be uh, more helpful and they're not. Uh, it's that commercial, you know, we've come a long way, baby, but we really haven't. Um, women are underrepresented in the workforce in every country and for every age group, um, and yet the available talent pool continues to grow. More women are graduating with college degrees than men. So there's all sorts of statistics and research, research that shows the importance uh, of resiliency to women because when you talk about resiliency, it can be used proactively so women can build their resiliency in order to deal with these challenges when they happen. And it can be small challenges or large challenges, um, or they can use it reactively, as I did um, recently. It's like uh, when it, when the situation and I was impacted, um, I really looked at, okay, now how do I build my resiliency? So it's very important at this point in time um, for women to really look at what can they do to help themselves overcome the, the things that, uh, societal pressures, the organizational policies that are in place that may take a hundred years or more to actually change, and they have to deal with it today and be successful. Yeah, and those are certainly not easy things to do, but very effective if you can do it. And I know it just suddenly dawned on me. I, in your book, it's the the title has the six strategies. So probably what I should ask you is, you know, if you can go through those six, or maybe pick a, a few that. Maybe you could give us a little deeper understanding of, you know, what, of what they are and, and how they might be helpful. Yeah, the, the framework itself, we did quite a bit of research. We interviewed over 100 women and coaches to determine the common strategies uh, overall, and then we actually surveyed several hundred coaches to validate. And then as I traveled in Europe, I shared the framework with women from around the world to get their perspectives and asked the question, will these strategies work in your culture? So the final six that we um, that are in our framework that are applicable across the board are strength and support networks, clarify purpose, build self-awareness, enhance self-care, actualize strength, and broaden coping skills. Uh, for example, strength and support networks is often one uh, that comes up quite a bit. Is your network broad enough to support you, meaning your professional network? Is it broad enough across the board um, to support you in challenging times? And is it deep enough? Do you have just even if it's a handful of people that you can really talk to about what's happening, uh, whether you need advice or not, but talk to them about it? And then clarify purpose is an interesting one because often what happens is we take a job, whether it's a job out of college or we change jobs along the way, and we may have thought about our values and our goals and our mission and our vision, but then we get heads down into a job, and then something you know kind of slaps us in the face, some sort of surprise, and it's almost a wake-up call, but we haven't taken time to really say, you know, are my values still aligned with my current role? Um, if so... What do I need to do differently? Or if not, what do I need to do differently? Um, have I thought about my values, what I'm still passionate about? Because those change. We change along the way. Those change along the way. And rather than be surprised by it, 
uh, the recommendation is to look at it regularly um, to make sure it's still aligned with what you do because we spend far too much time um, at work to not be happy with our work. Absolutely. And so are there things that companies should be specifically doing to really help women then, um, you know, do some of these things or to be more successful um, in, in these different strategies that you're really kind of pointing out? Yeah, there are actually lots of things that organizations can do, and some are doing to some degree um, and and not. But I think a couple of things, starter places, is to really do an organizational audit and see what uh, what's going on in the organization that does or does not support women um, and the challenges they encounter. Um, the last chapter in the book is actually a call to action for women, people, developers, organizations, uh, and organizational leaders and men. And so we list some suggestions. Uh, some of those specifically um, can be looking at your engagement, performance management, and success and succession processes um, and how to remove bias in general, but gender bias as well. And when I talk about these things, you know, diversity and all inclusion, you know, being an inclusive workplace um, is important. So some of these things are specific to women, but some really cut across the board to just make sure an organization's focused on um, equality. Some things specific to women are really looking at affinity groups, mentoring programs, sponsorship relationships, work-life integration practices um, that support women, but once again, men as well. Um, universities can provide curricula or companies can provide curricula to, to help um, people understand what's taking place. Um, unconscious bias, in my mind, is a big one nowadays um, in that, you know, the things we learn from the beginning, you know, the minute we're born are in our minds that lead to our stereotypes and they aren't often something that we know consciously that get demonstrated in many ways through through unconscious bias. So a focus on that, bringing that to light, uh, really uh, enabling people to have discussions and understanding about that um, is very important. So you, you mentioned uh, your book, but I'm sure that you are also an avid reader as well. Um, and I was wondering if there's a book that you're reading or maybe recently read that, uh, aside from checking out your book that's coming out uh, in September, uh, what... Is there any other book that our listeners might want to consider, uh, you know, picking up and maybe reading uh, here at the end of the summer? Yeah, I've been spending a lot of my time tied to the topic of my book and really getting to understand what women have done to be resilient. I've been doing a lot of reading of biographies of women that, from my perception, have been very strong or resilient along the way. And so right now I'm reading um, the biography of Gloria Steinem, My Life on the Road, um, and she had a kind of she's had a very incredible, um, very interesting life that has required a lot of resiliency along the way, and she has had such significant impact on women and women's issues, so I found that a very interesting um, read. And it's interesting, we, we find on our end the different types of books that a lot of our guests, uh, you know, choose to read. And so biographies is one that, you know, originally I hadn't thought of or wouldn't have guessed that, that so many of our our, um, our guests would have would have mentioned. But certainly that seems to be a great source for, for a lot of them to, to understand somebody, to kind of maybe dive into their thought process, understand how they handle situations. Um, and so biography seems to be a pretty big one that... Um, a lot of people check out, and that one sounds really fascinating. You know, the other area that we always find fascinating as well is, um, and it's a question we've actually stopped asking, but I, in, your, <laughs> in your particular case, since we've had to come back here, I want to maybe dive in a little bit deeper. And, 
and ask you if there was a particular person in your life, maybe kind of early on, whether it's a parent or a coach or a, a first boss, someone that you think maybe really nudged you in, in the direction that you ended up being in. Uh, whether or not you took their advice right away or not, I guess is another another story. But you know, is there, is there somebody that really had a big impact on you? You know, I have to say early on, um, and the book is actually dedicated to both our mothers, Kevin's and my mother. Um, early on, it was my mother. She went through a significant um, impact in the middle of her life. Um, my father passed away, and she had been a stay-at-home mom, and she had to then get a job, had to learn to drive a car, hadn't paid bills. And so I think that significantly shaped my perspective on um, uh, what's important around strength and resiliency and, and my really my interest um, in that particular topic and in development, people development, leadership development, um, just uh, how we develop uh, overall, I think, has uh, shaped my focus on that. Yeah, when, I guess when we see parents go through incredible challenges or unexpected life events that can have if you're especially at the right age it can have a huge impact on your perspective on whether the world's fair or how do you deal with issues or overcoming challenges or i guess it could also go the other way as well if your parents didn't handle it well but uh certainly can be a huge uh huge factor for many people well i i know we've covered a lot of things here today um and you've mentioned a lot of uh, kind of real fascinating things around this idea of resiliency especially tied to your new book um you know, if you were kind of summarizing maybe a couple of the key points, what you know, if someone was listening today, hopefully somebody was, but you know, for those that are listening, um, what would you summarize as being sort of the, the, the takeaways? What should they have remembered or jotted down or maybe go back and work on when they get back to work later on? Yeah, I think it's important for women to realize that that they are up against significant challenges in the workforce. And, and I know that hits you at different times and places in your career. Um, but I think the sooner um, that's acknowledged and, and appreciated, um, you'll begin to build your resiliency. And I think that leads to my second item is that resiliency is an antidote. Um, so it's not a linear process, and it doesn't mean you have to work on all six strategies, but self-assess which ones do you need to work on and, and do, that, do that proactively. And then my last is um, something that you talked a little bit more about as well, but it's get uncomfortable. It will be worth it. Um, it's not easy, but in the end, it will be worth it. So that that would be kind of the key takeaway. That always does seem to be a pretty good way to grow as a person is just to get a little uncomfortable. Uh, do something you're not used to. Do something in a different way. Learn a new uh, thing. I know the other day I was struggling with a, a new chord on the guitar and just learning that it sort of opened up some new things for me. But, man, I was uncomfortable for a while. So um, put my fingers in a way that I wasn't used to. But um, yeah. yeah, it seems like you know that could be a great way for people to, to kind of look at it, just to go find something small and make you uncomfortable, and that that's positive at the same time, and, and see if that can help you grow. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, that's it exactly. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. Like I'll have people say to me, "Well, I can't take a year and go off to Europe," and and it's like <laughs> I tell people, take a different take a different road to the grocery store. Go to a different grocery store. Um, you know, get out and spend ten minutes in nature when you may you know. Stop watching TV and go take a walk. You know, so it doesn't have to be huge things, but but exactly, it's do something different, get uncomfortable. It's amazing the way it opens your mind to to just new perspectives. Absolutely. Well, how can people get a hold of you? And of course, uh, more importantly, learn more about uh, your new book. 
Absolutely. So the book is actually available for pre-order now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a variety of places. Um, we have a book, uh, a launching website about the book, which is www.shiftintothrive.com. Um, I have a, a website that's focused on the book, which is www.schmidtleadership.com. And then I have a Facebook author site, um, which I am continually putting articles out related to the topic that people find very helpful. I'm on LinkedIn uh, as well. So there are, um, there are many ways to reach me and learn more about the book and, and what I'm up to as well. Well, Lynn, thank you so much for uh, being here today, uh, sharing uh, your story and your journey, um, and, of course, making us all a little bit jealous that we are not in Europe for a year. Um, I was there for three weeks this summer, and I could have definitely not come come home, but I somehow managed to get back on the plane. So, But uh, thank you so much for, for sharing all that with us. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. I'm glad I had the opportunity. All right, and also thank you to my... Uh, my other guests uh, at the beginning of the show, uh, and, and most importantly to everyone who's tuning in here today, really appreciate all your support, the questions that came in, um, and all the, the kind of words of encouragement. Uh, next week, we will have uh, Crispin Manners. That might one of the be the best names we've had yet so far. Crispin Manners, uh, Chairman and uh, Managing Director for the Employee Engagement Alliance. And then uh, Danica Wasser, the uh, Operations Manager for Engagement Multiplier. Uh, They'll both join me for the show next week. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2. 